We'll stay with those interviews then for the rest of the morning. Uh, in the interim, however, I want us to quickly look at uh, Black History Month. And we're going to be remembering Nkhopozi Tiro, uh, yesterday marking the anniversary of the late apartheid hero. He, of course, was killed in Botswana in 1974 through a letter bomb explosion. He had been fleeing the apartheid government forces who were pursuing him. He was was aged 28 at the time and had been uh, a student leader. David Litzualo is a Sankarist activist and academic and joins us now. David, good morning. Thanks for your time today. Good morning, Katie. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you, David. You know, it's Black History Month and it really always provides us with an opportunity to remember some of the significant leaders that we have had uh, in our history and, and to reflect on on their lives and reflect on their legacies and, and what they mean for us as South Africans today? Well, I, I, I think uh, um, as South Africans, we, we, we have fallen to the trap of, uh, you know, eating to um, dominant narratives. We celebrate certain people, whereas others are erased. So I am very appreciative of the initiative of, uh, you know, actually, you know, taken to uh, remember people like Onkhopote uh, Abram Tiro, uh, you know, because uh, on this month, February, we normally get excited about uh, the release of uh, Nelson Mandela and the unbending of the liberation movement. So what we, what we do is. We allow the, an act by uh, Sadie Clark to uh, to release uh, the pre- political prisoners and unban uh, liberation movement to overshadow the very very critical contributions and events that uh, actually characterize our history as black people. How many people do get you know to remember the fact that uh, on this particular uh, you know uh, month? Uh, Onkhopozitiro uh, was, uh, you know, ruthlessly retired in Botswana, and then many people don't even acknowledge the fact that it is uh, on this month that we should be uh, remembering that uh, uh, Robert Sobuke uh, died in the month of February, and also uh, people like uh, Cyril Palmer of the uh, Pan Africanist uh, Congress on this particular month. They were all, uh, you know, these people were killed by the apartheid regime. But coming to 1990 as well, we just remember 1990 as you know, that moment of the release uh, of uh, political prisoners and so on and so on. But we overshadow other important points that it is on, in 1990 that uh, uh, Zef Mutu died, uh, Jafta Matemola died, and Muntu Mieza died in the, in the year 1990. So I think with this kind of dialogue and conversation, we should have the importance of in attaching meaning, emotions, and anger to this act of, uh, you know, martyring Onkhopotitiro uh, and other freedom fighters. Otherwise, we are going to be reducing this to mere talk and like folk tales, like we read in Shakespeare and forget that, you know, these people belonged to families. They were fathers, they were mothers, they were sons and daughters, etc. And most importantly, we get distracted from what they were fighting for? Why, why did they die? So they died fighting for something. And unless we get that particular thing, which is true liberation, 
not to talk about liberation or the mere idea that we are in a rainbow nation, but the, the true liberation where people are indeed free. And as Tiro said, we're talking about the idea of freedom to breathe. So the freedom that we're talking about is not that which is in the documents, in the Constitution, or whatever. It's the freedom that you experience as, as you live, mm. as much as you can say is the freedom that I associate with the, the freedom that I have when I breathe my, the, the fresh air. So yeah. such people, yeah. okay... You know, David. Sorry to 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 cut you to, to cut you off there, but you talk about the, the the importance of these legacies and what the cost of their freedom was and what it is that they were ultimately fighting for. And oftentimes, even on this platform, we have people that call in and and we have the conversation around how South Africa is losing its its moral compass and that there doesn't seem to be a shared value system that the country, the entire country, is working towards or even is, is working from. When we look at the contributions of the likes of Onghopotzi Tiro, what is the value of what they were fighting for for us as South Africans today and how can we use that as our guiding light, uh, for, for lack of a better phrase? Well, I, I think that's a very, very important question because uh, people like Diro did not pontificate about the struggle and they didn't speculate about death and martyrdom because they, they, they died, not theoretically, but indeed. But for that particular thing, which is I, I, what I refer to as uh, you know, true liberation, and what is it? Is the issue of uh, equality, uh, you know, ethics, servant leadership, the love for your own people? Because if you don't love the people, you cannot sacrifice for them. So when we talk about sacrifice today, we have lost that idea of sacrificing for people. Instead, we are pushing the idea of uh, summer politics. So it's about the self instead of the people. So my my, my view in appreciating the contribution of the likes of Tiro uh, is that we should go back to the idea of what that which makes us as a people. And that can only be uh, you know, framed within the idea of a uh, socialist, you know, African perspective of, of life, where the issue of sharing uh, Ubuntu, uh, you know, common you know, heritage, shared responsibility, as you correctly said, underline our, our existence and our, our way of uh, leadership. So we seem to have lost all that. We need to get to the basics of African unity, black solidarity, as a key to resolving our problems as, uh, as Africans. Where we are at the moment as, as black people, we are, we are so much you know, obsessed with uh, fighting uh, against one another, destroying one another, all these things for the sake of uh, selfishness and uh, advancing, uh, you know, you know, individual interests other than the collective uh, gains of the people. That which uh, you know underlined the, the struggle because the struggle was really about that. Katie, at the moment we we're dealing with almost obvious problems that uh, freedom fighters were had identified. Issues of the the land, for instance, and human dignity, because with the contribution of the likes of Tiro, 
they had to deal with the, the wrath and the omnipotence of uh, uh, supremacy as it came via apartheid. So since white supremacy dehumanizes and, and gives you indignity rather than dignity, so black consciousness movements actually made sure that people, black people, accept themselves as agents or subjects rather than objects, and therefore with confidence and and in a proper complex in the in the interaction with the oppressor, you are able to assert yourself as a full human being. So this is the contribution that we should actually appreciate from the likes of Onkhopotikiro. Uh, David, one of the things that you lament is the role of the South African government, not only in pursuing um, the criminal matters in as far as trying to bring to book the killers, of Onkhopotzitiro, but on the other hand, lamenting the state of life um, for black people in general under a black-led government. You know, uh, Katie, that, uh, that is a very, very painful uh, situation. Actually, it's frustrating, it's not confusing, to have a black-led government uh, failing to address the aspirations of the very same constituency that has put them into power. So uh, the, the, the struggle ideas are very, very simple, are clear. You just always have to remind yourself as to what were people fighting for, what was the objective of the liberation struggle. And if the answer is not uh, appropriate or commensurate with what the, the struggle was about, then you have to look at the leadership as the, as the main problem. So my view is, if the apartheid uh, government uh, was uh, thriving on fear and uh, suppression of black voice and black aspirations, what is it that makes the, the black government not to to deliver on the obvious mandate of the people? And in my analysis uh, brings me to the fact that I think the present or post-1994 fear is about the fear of losing tax uh, advantages, benefits, uh, you know, from the, the ruling class, and therefore we are afraid to lose the benefits of what we refer to as the politics of cheese or the stomach. So we are guided by the stomach in all the instances. Our thinking and our emotions and our morality has been distorted and influenced by the politics of the stomach. And I think up to the point where we start realizing that there is a bigger agenda to the to the selfishness, to the individual, but to the, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the, the black populace. Until we get that, uh, you know, alignment right, then I'm afraid that we are going to keep on complaining and complaining about uh, the lack of delivery, lack of uh, freedom, uh, and, and so on and so on. So that, for me, is very, very important. And we can only do that if we embrace the spirit of black consciousness and in Africanism. Mm. And, and, you know, I think there is also a role, uh, David, to, to be played by amplifying the, the lives and the contributions of these individuals that you say have not fallen part of the mainstream coverage, uh, because it also just helps people to see the great contributions that many people made uh, to get us to where we are today, uh, and therefore what it's going to require 
to change South Africa. It's not going to take just one or two people. It's going to take a lot of really good leaders uh, to, to steer us on, on a different trajectory. Oh, 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 definitely. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm talking about the idea of uh, black uh, solidarity and black unity. As long as you, you know, a certain group is, is pushing a particular, you know, distorted agenda that benefits its own, you know, survival to be closer to the, you know, to the feeding trough in, in, of the state, then as black people are not going to have this common approach. So I think uh, we need to break free from the notion of party, you know, politics and get to the idea that as, as a black collective, we need to identify what is it that uh, you know, can make us uh, you know, survive in this cruel anti-black uh, world. And as long as we, we don't see that, as long as we don't see the, the need to transcend party politics, you know, T-shirts and so on and so on, the color of the T-shirts, and look at what is it that is of relevance to our survival and existence as black people, then we're not going to get that. An example is, for instance, uh, when the liberation movements were banned and uh, from 1960, for instance, up to the 1968 or so, that period was a very, very a big challenge. And it is during that period that black consciousness, which was not party or aligned as it was about black solidarity, were able to shake the apartheid government leading up to 1976, for instance. And the recent case of the FISMAS for students, when it started, before it was actually infiltrated, it was not based on party politics and so on and so on. So that underlines the importance of black solidarity beyond narrow uh, issues of uh, self-aggrandizement and uh, individual benefits. Uh, as, as such, to underline what I refer to as the politics of cheese and the politics of stomach. So you've got it right there. We need to look beyond the, the infrastructure of the imposed Western democracy, which comes in the form of parties and elections, and look at what do we really need to do. We need to, I would say, capture state power as black people in order to advance the spirit of uh, what I refer to as the true Azania, because the South Africa is a creation of, uh, you know, white interest. And as we create our own system, rename, for instance, this narrative of uh, South Africa to a true Azania, that I think we can make a, a, a sense of collective belonging by all the oppressed people in the in the in the, in, in, in this country uh, of ours. So that, for me, is a challenge that we need to traverse. And I, I am hopeful that the way things are going, we are likely going to uh, you know, converge as black people to the realization of a common agenda that ours is not about party politics and elections. It's about claiming what belongs to us, which is the true freedom and the land of our forefathers. When we take this conversation further and we reflect again on the great injustice that is being done, that is being that is about what is taught in schools to young generations of South Africans in general, because somebody like Onkhopotzidiro was not just fighting for, uh, you know, the liberation of black South Africans, but he was committed to a better South Africa for 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 everybody in South Africa, and so that. 
that education be- becomes crucial to what our future can be. Um, what, what do you think the role of something like Black History Month can play in raising that, that awareness? Because there, there are many young people today who, who wouldn't know a, a thing about somebody like Omkhopotzitiro. Oh, I think that is very, very, very uh, a crucial uh, aspect you've raised, Casey. Um, I mean, it pains me a lot when I, you know, I, I start looking at what we we learn in, in in schools, not only in the, you know, uh, in, in the in the schools that they, including higher education spaces, the universities, and so on and so on. And I think our education, our so-called education has been priced on a certification and I think we we need to move beyond the idea of education as a mere collection of certificates. As we speak today, people just gloat about, you know, the whole range of uh, you know programs and certifications that the program that have gone through and and titles for instance and forget to the substance because knowing something is different from what you are certified to know. You can be certified to be a good driver, whereas you are basically a, a very, very poor driver. So my view is that we must get into the essence of what goes into the classroom. So I can't believe that up to today, we, people still praise and you know, gloat about Shakespeare, but they don't know anything much about our own authors. For instance, OK Matepe as an example. So my, I have this thing that uh, in terms of history, Imagine, Katie, a curriculum at high school, for instance, where you are learning about Biko, you are learning about Tiro, you are learning about, uh, you know, Mapeta Mohati, you are learning about Jeftama Semola, Robert Sobuke, you know, all these uh, current uh, heroes of Australia, because they had values. Imagine a young girl, you know, learning about the, the advances the bravery and courage of the Winnie Mandela or, uh, you know, Ma Winnie Huari. This will be very, very inspirational, uh, unlike learning about uh, Queen Elizabeth, for instance. All these things need to be cleaned up and so that the idea of decolonized education is not just a slogan, it becomes a reality. And at the moment, young people are pushing and talking about decolonized uh, education and then people who are anti, uh, you know, transformation, they trick them and ask them, what, what do you mean by decolonized education? They put them in the tough uh, intellectual debate. But the reality is we need decolonized education. And this what I'm telling you now and what you have actually advanced in your question is the answer to what we mean by decolonized curriculum partly. So I think it would be a matter of pride, you know, joy and satisfaction for any proud uh, African to learn about their own heroes. I mean, we have to say something about Tiro not even limited uh, his struggle to the South Africans as such. Indeed, he, felt, he, he, he argued that for a true liberation to solve Africa's problems, we need to, uh, to work or have close solidarity with other African uh, countries. So that, for me, is the teacher that can give us a proper, sound curriculum in our schools where we can have even people like Lumumba, Sankara, Nkuruma taught directly in, in, in our classrooms. And I think that will be a matter of pride. And I have that dream and vision that it's going to be happening. And in my lifetime and in your lifetime, 
I would wish that uh, we we experience that moment where we transcend uh, the Shakespeare's of this of this world and embrace our own people. All right, uh, David Litswalo. Let's leave it there. He is a Sankarist activist and academic, and you know the, the question of what is taught, what is taught to young people, because these are part of our histories. These are part of our histories, and it's it's absolutely disheartening, being a South African, growing up and going through the education system, and you only find out about some of these names um, when you get to university. And by, by virtue of what you're studying. So if you are more in, in the BA field, you'll get to learn about some of these leaders. But if you're doing other courses, chances are you never really have the opportunity of understanding just what the weight of, of, of the contributions have been across the board. And, and how can we move forward and build a prosperous country when we, we haven't yet fully accepted and you know reconciled with the contributions that have been made to get us to where we